Good morning, church. <laughs> We're going to have some fun. I like that. Uh, so we are continuing our sermon series, Running on Empty. And our theme this week is fruitful. Yeah. Um, and I was, as I was reflecting this week on what this word meant to me, places I see this in the Bible, um, I just kept coming back to my earliest understanding of the idea of fruitfulness and that being tied to how the Holy Spirit empowers me to engage in the world. You know, and what that looks like in my life, what it looked like for me as an early believer, what it looks like in my life today, and what it looked like for the writers of the Bible who lived in a very different social and societal context than we live in today. Um, but in every one of those contexts, I kept coming back to this idea of our fruitfulness as a litmus test for our spiritual condition. You know, sometimes something feels off inside of me and it seems like it's a result of the circumstances of my life, but our spiritual teachings tell me that the fruit of the Spirit is going to give me a way, the Holy Spirit is going to give me a way to live a life of love, joy, peace, useful and helpfulness, no matter what's happening outside, that what's happening inside can still feel good. You know, and so that's kind of what we're going to be looking at today. But um, I want to go ahead and set the framework that we're not creating a space for shame this morning. That as we look at, and we will, our innate human shortcomings, and from this point forward, when I use the word human this morning, I want you to understand, I mean our fallible, imperfect nature that is, by definition, incapable of living up to this divine standard that we are striving for, right? But that's part of our makeup, that's part of our nature, and that we can see that, acknowledge it, confess it, respond to it, all of those things that move us towards something better, like that is God's intended, the, the way we're intended to respond, but that shame is also this very human, that's how our humanity would have us respond, it's all wrapped up in ego, you know? And this belief that we should be different, that we should be better, that we should be inherently able to perform godliness. And a lot of us get that message at an early age and internalize that. And I just, so I want to be very explicit from this point moving forward that that is not how Christ wants us to respond to our own humanity or to the humanity we see in others, okay? So safe space created, okay? Let, let's see what happens. <laughs> Michael, you flip my slide, yeah. If you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. So one of my really best friends says this to me a lot. This is one of her like go-to expressions and she always uses it in one of two contexts. You know, the, the first one is pretty easy to receive. It's like, 
when you're interacting with someone who um, maybe just doesn't have the resources to behave better than what they're behaving. And they're under stress, and maybe they've hurt me in some sort of way, and I'm venting about it, and she'll say, well, honey, when you squeeze an orange, you get orange juice. You know, and then the way that is a little harder to receive, but I think this is what we get from our, our loving, godly friends. Sometimes I am behaving badly under stress. <laughs> and she will say to me, well, when you squeeze an orange, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> you know, and it's sort of like my call to look at the fruit that's being produced in my life. And is it of me or is it of God? You know, and so that's kind of going to be our theme this morning when you squeeze an orange? What happens when we get squeezed? Now, we're human, we have human hearts. It is natural that when we get squeezed, orange juice is gonna come out. But we are also Christians, the body of Christ, empowered and emboldened by the Holy Spirit, and it is possible, it is available, moment by moment, that when we get squeezed, living water comes out. You know? And how amazing would that be if when we're in the vice of life, people look over and they're like, whoa, what is that? Did you see that? They squeezed that orange and water came out. Like, what would it mean for the people in our lives watching us do life? What kind of testimony is that? You know? And how much more peaceful would our life be if every time we notice a little orange juice on the floor, we're like, oh, oh, an opportunity for me to course correct. It doesn't have to be this way. Now look. We have a beautiful, loving God that gives us the choice, moment by moment, to be an orange full of orange juice. He's not going to take that from you, you know, but he's also, he also makes available a better way to live. So, Galatians 5 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And I wanted to start with this verse because I want like, to build on that framework that this is a normal and natural part of human nature. Like, this is in one of the first letters to the early church, you know? This idea of who we're called to be, who we, are, who we want to be, and who we are, are at odds. You know, and as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking about all the places in my life where it's easy to see that. You know, and, and I, as I was thinking about it, I was in my own mind calling it like my human heart and my Holy Spirit heart. You know, places where it's easy to see. My, in my marriage, my human heart is jealous. You know, I want to be the only person that Ryan wants to spend time with. I want to be the only person that makes him laugh. I want to be like the center of his universe. My Holy Spirit heart knows that that's unhealthy. <laughs> <laughs> That that's bad for him and that's bad for me. And it wants community and brothership and fellowship for him. Brothership? Brotherhood. <laughs> you know, as a mother, my human heart is selfish with my time and energy. It wants so much me time. It wants to be left alone. It wants peace and quiet. 
My Holy Spirit heart loves my children in a way my human heart cannot. And it is the embodiment of those gifts that we're gonna talk about later. Faithful, it's patient, it's kind, it's gentle. Even when I'm getting squeezed, and y'all better believe children will squeeze you. You know? But I can see the difference when my human heart responds and when my Holy Spirit heart responds. My human heart can be withholding. My Holy Spirit heart is never withholding. As a pastor of this church, my human heart wants to present myself wrapped in all of the ways my ego wants to protect me from letting you see my imperfections, my humanity, my vulnerability. My Holy Spirit heart wants me to get up here and tell you every way my sin, my mental health problems, the struggles of my daily life hurt me and cause me to hurt people and the way the Holy Spirit helps me repair and push through that maybe someone in this room who struggles with those things might find hope. My Holy Spirit heart wants me to humble myself in front of a whole room so that maybe one person might find deeper hope. And that's okay. This tension is normal and natural and we don't have to be ashamed of it but if we never look at it or confront it or acknowledge it or own it, we're never going to be able to consciously yield to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This is just like a few verses down in that same passage, in that same letter. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is so important because we have to acknowledge that this is not our human nature, this is God's nature. And when I am living this way, when these are the things that are pouring out of my life that characterize my life, my attitude in any given moment, it is only because in that moment I am deeply yielded to God. I've submitted myself to what he wants to do in and through me in my life because this is not my human heart. Now don't get me wrong, many of these things feel good and when life is going good, going well, you'll see these things in my life even when I'm driving the boat. But when you squeeze me, everything starts to break down. I've been living a life of faith and service to God's will for quite some time now and even when things are going well, it is easy to get caught up in running on my own strength and my own power, and I can perform these things pretty well. But guess what? One of two things happens when life squeezes me, usually both one first and then the other. This becomes very uncomfortable. And perhaps on the outside I'm still performing these things, but on the inside it is killing me to perform these things. My children are squeezing me and outwardly I am performing gentleness and kindness and patience and inside all of my muscles are tense with the effort of controlling my emotional response, of squelching the desire to let my human heart hurt my children because I am hurting in that moment. 
And then the second thing that will eventually happen if I subject myself to that long enough is that the performance falls apart and things start to crack. And the very worst version of myself starts to spill out around the edges because it's not sustainable. I cannot, for any duration of time, with any inner peace, with any success under pressure, live this way. Because this is not human nature, this is God's nature. But, but at any moment when I recognize a little orange juice on the floor, I can stop and I can submit myself to God and I can invite his Holy Spirit into that space. You know, um, I was on the phone with one of our daughters this week and she has a tiny, tiny baby. And I got to tell about how when my children were little, I spent a lot of time crying in closets. And after Remy was born, I got to stay home for a couple of years with our kids. But to help make ends meet, I had started like a little tiny in-home daycare. And for a little while, I had like six little boys and the oldest one was three and a half and the youngest one was about four months old. And I had somehow, through sheer will and determination, synced up everybody's nap times so that I had about 30 minutes of overlapping like, we are all gonna be still in quiet now. And I would spend that time, I would go into my room and close the door and then I would go into the master bath and close the door and then I would go into my closet and close the door and I would cry. <laughs> and I would set a timer for three minutes. I get to fall apart. For three minutes, I can feel whatever I am feeling. I can be as overwhelmed and broken and depleted as I need to be. And then me and the Holy Spirit are getting it together. You know, and I would like lean back against the door of that closet because they will find you and they will open that door. You gotta barricade it with your body. <laughs> I would lean back against the door of that closet and after my timer had gone off, you know, I would just breathe. And some of you have, taught, have heard me preach up here about breath prayer. I really believe in it, you know, and I would just like breathe out my desire to be good at this. <laughs> Everything inside of me that felt like I should be better at this, that had any sort of judgment about how I was failing, or that it should feel different. And I would just try to breathe in the peace of the Holy Spirit, the gentleness and kindness of the Holy Spirit. And I would just sit there and do that until I felt the weight of his spirit rest on my shoulders and my heart settled. And after about 10 minutes, I was able to like get up and wash my face and you know, go do life again. Because these things are always available to us. Always available to us when we're willing to like stop and surrender ourselves to his spirit. Psst, Michael. As I was meditating on this idea of fruitfulness, this passage came to me again and again. And then as I was meditating on it, I like felt like, you ever get like Holy Spirit obsessed with something? <laughs> like while you're in meditation, I got like Holy Spirit obsessed with like the geography of Israel because I wanted us to be able to really understand 
what Jeremiah was talking about, his world when he wrote this. So he says, cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They're like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future. They will live in the barren wilderness in an uninhabited salty land. And Jeremiah lives near the Dead Sea. When he's talking about a barren wilderness of uninhabited salty land, he is talking about a region in which the soil is so salty, no, nothing can live. No plant can survive. It like burns and mummifies them. Like when you think about like salting the earth, like th this is what they're talking, they're talking about like achie artificially achieving this effect where the soil is like actively hostile to anything that wants to grow in it. And when the earth is salted, when my heart is salted, it's really just like left to its own devices because there are no nutrients that it's drawing from that can support it and it's gonna die, it's gonna wither. It's like me when I'm trying to do the thing God puts in front of me of my own power, of my own strength. It doesn't work at all. So what's the alternative? But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They're like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. So this is a picture of that same area, right, of the world. We've got the Great Sea, but the Great Sea is where the Jordan River dumps out into. And all along the Jordan River, you have this beautiful, fertile land in the desert. And what would this have meant to a desert people? who had to rely on the land for all of the sustenance that they needed, whose security and survival and lifeblood was dependent on their ability to find a source that could give things life, that could sustain life. You know, when it talks about a tree that always has fruit, that is fruitful no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how drought-ridden we become, there will always be fruit by the river. That's a nice idea for us, but what does it mean to a desert people? What did this mean to the people this was written for? Fruit, like think about that. It is a source of moisture. It is a source of energy. It is portable. You can pick it and take it with you wherever you need to go. This is life-changing. This is life-changing. It empowers you. It equips you to do whatever you need to do out in the world because it's this thing you can take with you. You can't take the whole river with you, but you can take this fruit with you when you go. You know, and, and the fruit here is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. What would it look like for us to remember 
that when our roots are in the river, the river here is a metaphor for God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's important. When our roots are in the river, we can never run out of those things. And this same tree planted in barren soil will never have these things, will never have this fruit. It will shrivel up and die. It's like a surge protector plugged into itself. Your lamp's not going to work. It doesn't work. And it's not meant to. It's not designed to. It's not created to do that. We're like lamps, guys. We're not made to work without a power source. We have to plug in. We have to charge up. But when we do, but when we do, we get to enjoy this fruit no matter what is going on in our lives. And so, back it up. <laughs> I want us to think about where we are in this picture. There have been so many times in my life where I was trying to perform fruitfulness out of a sense of duty and responsibility and obligation and it was hurting me. You know, we hear in this society that is so focused on self-care, we hear so often this idea that when we're doing things, we're doing all these good things, and they hurt, and so then we're like, I, I need to quit. I need to step back. I need to stop. And don't get me wrong. I do think we have a tendency to say yes to things that God did not say yes to. But how often... Are we doing God's will? We're living, we're, we're doing the things that God has put in front of us, but we want to quit because they hurt, because we're trying to do them on our own. We were never meant to do them on our own. They don't have to hurt. They're not supposed to hurt. It's supposed to feel awesome, guys. Well, okay. It's supposed to be able to feel awesome no matter how much it might hurt or push or strain or be uncomfortable or be scary because those are the fruits of the Spirit. You know, we watch Jesus in the agony of the garden. I feel like I talk about Jesus in the agony of the garden every time I get up here. But we watch Jesus in the agony of the garden fall on his face and weep and beg for things to be different. I mean, this is not feeling good, guys. He's submitted to God's will. It doesn't feel good. But it says, and then the angels of the Lord came down and comforted him. And then he got up and did it anyway. we're meant to be reliant on God's strength and if we're doing it without his strength we will know because it will show up in the fruit or the lack of fruit in our lives okay now we can do it thanks okay does anybody remember these old Duracell batteries with the power check and you'd squeeze the top or the bottom and it would show you like how much battery was left charge was left in your battery. And I loved that for this particular sermon because, man, we have a battery. We're checking its level. We're squeezing things. It's like, yeah, that's my metaphor right there. So what happens when we get squeezed? This is our opportunity. It's our opportunity to pay attention to the fruit in our lives, to look at how we respond to the stress in our lives 
on two levels, right? How does it look? Does it, you know, am, am I behaving badly? Am I hurting people? Am I responding with selfishness and impatience and anger or fear instead of gentleness and kindness and faithfulness? So how does it look and how does it feel? I think for a bunch of people choosing to be at church on Sunday, that might be a more important test. How does it feel? Is exercising patience in that moment a performance, a painful performance? You know? <clears throat> Is trying to find joy in that circumstance like really an ex, like, like a mindfulness exercise that takes an hour to dig down deep for? And it's okay if it is, like we're called to do that, but let's do it with the Holy Spirit. You know, let's not try and do it on our own. It'll be so much more fruitful if we do. And then how do I respond to this information? So we notice, and then we're called to respond, not with shame, not with a sense of failure. Guess what? If you're paying attention to this, you're gonna have many opportunities in any given day to check the charge on your battery because we live in a broken, fallen world and you get squeezed. The world and its people are often quite wrong. <laughs> but how do I respond? Well, I think we have the opportunity to respond in two ways and both involve humility and acts of worship. If you get squeezed and you notice, man, this upsetting thing happened and I did not get upset. It rolled off my back like Holy Spirit Teflon. That's possible. That's available for us. You know? And we notice that. We get to respond with humility right there in that moment. And we get to say, well, that's not human nature. That's God's nature. That's not my character. That's God's character. Praise Jesus, hallelujah, thank you, God. Or that upsetting thing happens and we are not spiritually bulletproof. We pull out our guns instead, you know, and maybe we lash out. Or maybe we're sitting in our head, maybe we're, we're biting our tongue, but in our mind, we are on a tirade, you know, How do I respond to that? Not with shame, not with condemnation, with repentance, with confession. God, there goes my human heart again. Break it, please. <laughs> Break it, fix it, make it yours. I know you can do that. I know you want to do that for me. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you. Because it's his character, not our character. And so, instead of practical tips for you this week, this is your charge. Notice the fruit. Remember that we are human and then respond with humility. Humility. 